Welcome to the Heart of Sheridan Road. This is episode number six with your host, Anne-Marie Turpak, Director of Institutional Advancement. This is Anne-Marie Turpak, your host for today's podcast. We are pleased to have our counseling team with us today. Elizabeth Wilton, the primary school counselor, Laura Sloman, the lower school counselor, and Sue Haybach, the middle school and high school placement counselor. We will discuss how Sacred Heart Schools cares for the whole student and their journey through childhood and adolescence. To begin, Elizabeth, can you tell us what is social emotional learning? Social emotional learning or SEL is really what teaching the whole child is all about. It means learning about ourselves, our inner lives, our feelings, thoughts, and our actions. So it's about learning how to get along with others, like being a good friend, solving conflicts, learning the power of our words, and understanding our emotions. So supporting children really begins with supporting their relationships. So when problems arise, students actually have like a toolbox they can use to make wise choices. SEL is also about giving students strategies for how to handle strong feelings and navigate all the relationships that they have. So it is teaching essential skills for a lot of things, success in work, school, and life. And this work actually stemmed from the 1980s when Daniel Goldman, um, his work on emotional intelligence, also EQ, and the research that came from his work found that IQ accounts for about only 20% of success in life, and then the remaining 80% is attributed to factors related to emotional intelligence. So SEL skills play a major role in improving students' well-being, which is why we're so passionate about it, um, and their academic performance. And research shows that classrooms where SEL is valued, they have more academic risk-taking, concept retention, and motivation. And I think this is in part because social and emotional learning helps to foster a feeling of safety in the classroom. And that's when they're more willing to take those risks, like answering a question they don't necessarily have the right answer to or asking for help when they don't understand something. So we know that students are more available to learn when educators have addressed their social and emotional needs first. And these skills really help to center them and they release tension and they give them the tools they need to manage really strong feelings and have empathy for others. And I think it's really important to note that social and emotional learning is for everyone, it's for all students, and it's not just for a few, it's an essential thing in education and not just something extra or optional. I think that's very interesting you mentioned that EQ is responsible for 80% of the child's development and IQ is 20%. I think it's a real gift that the school has three counselors. Laura, I know you're our newest addition to the counseling team at Sacred Heart Schools. Can you speak to us and how does a counselor interact with students? Absolutely. First, I want to echo Elizabeth's message that we serve all Sacred Heart students. I think there's a common misconception that counselors only work with students who are experiencing behavioral challenges or who have a difficult home life or who are in some kind of crisis. And while we do all of those things, in reality, our reach is much wider than that. So we provide education, we provide prevention and intervention activities. And it looks a little different based on division. As a whole team, we are responsible for developing and implementing SHS CARES, which is our school-wide character education program. So if parents ever see those green coupons go home or 
they've been different colors. Um, that's when we recognize students for going above and beyond displaying pro-social behaviors, and they're generally related to a theme. So right now we're focusing on kindness. And when we see a student demonstrating kind behavior, we reward them and we recognize them for that. On a classroom level, Elizabeth and I are frequently in classrooms providing direct instruction roughly every four to eight weeks and normally based on an identified need by the classroom teacher. For example, we both recently did a lesson on the vocabulary of bystander versus upstander and what it means to be an upstander either in the face of a bullying situation or even just any situation where we see somebody being treated um, either unfairly or unkindly. If a student is identified either by a parent or teacher for having challenges that impact their learning, then we might intervene with some short-term solution-focused interventions, and that most commonly takes the form of lunch bunches. Those are four to six week small groups, and they aim to build a certain subset of skills. For example, we might have a worry busters group for students who are experiencing anxiety, or the making and keeping of friends for students who are struggling with peer relationships. We may also engage in peer-to-peer -peer situations and conflict resolution and mediations. And we also support students by frequently collaborating with teachers to determine appropriate school level interventions such as visual aids, behavior charts, and increased check-ins. It's important to note that we do not provide therapy or long-term counseling, but we are equipped to recognize and respond to students' mental health needs, and we assist students and families in seeking those resources. Wonderful. You guys are very busy. Can you, um, just for a point of clarification, can you describe or define for those of us who are not in your field what pro-social behaviors are? Absolutely. There is such a wide range. It can be, again, conflict resolution. It can be accepting criticism, avoiding peer pressure or managing peer pressure, positive self-talk. So, Sue, you have been at Sacred Heart Schools for a few decades, is that correct? Yes. You started as a teacher, and you are now the middle school counselor and high school placement counselor. Yes. So you've been working with children in a variety of capacities. I have. That's true. I've been here about 26 years. Twelve of them have been as the middle school counselor, and the previous ones were being in the classroom. Wonderful. So can you speak to what is the role of a school counselor in relation to teachers, parents, and administrators? Absolutely. Well, Laura already said a little bit of how we interact with the teachers. So if there's a problem, we're going to help develop a strategy for that particular student um, and check in with the student as we can and make sure that there's a connection between what they're saying and doing in our office and how they're behaving in the classroom. We're also there for the teacher because if you have a child with special needs, it's difficult. You need someone to bounce ideas off of, you need suggestions, and we're kind of the experts who aren't living in the classroom. So we can be someone that can come in, take a look, and assess what's going on, and you know, suggest strategies. So we do quite a lot of that. Um, and you know, it's a beautiful partnership because we can support the teachers, we can support the parents, we of course are a big support to each other because our jobs are 
pretty intense, as hopefully you'll <clears throat> come to see. One of the neat things that we did this year is we've developed what we call the wellness team. Um, we have a new school nurse, and so we have partnered with the school nurse and the three of us, and we are now the wellness team. And the idea is that mind and body go together. Often students will come to the nurse with a headache or a stomach ache, and it's clear after a few visits that something else is going on. So we help with that. We help coordinate when the physical symptoms are sometimes masking a problem with, you know, being upset about a friend or being upset about a home situation. The idea of the team is to come together once a week to strategize about how we can best serve our students so that we're meeting all of their needs, physical, emotional, and social. So we're very excited that we formed the team and we already have had a lot of wonderful meetings together and feel like it's very beneficial. Wonderful. Thank you. Elizabeth, how do the counselors interact with therapists and other outside service providers? When a student receives outside services like occupational therapy, counseling, or therapy, or a social skills group, we really encourage parents to sign what's called a release of information, and this allows us to speak with that provider. And then we are able to collaborate and bridge the outside services to school because an outside service provider has a wealth of information. They might spend an hour a week with the child working on one specific skill or a, a couple skills that are impacting their learning at school. So it's really an important collaboration and relationship because if there's language that that clinician is using that works for that student, we want to make sure we're able to use that in the school setting. They might role play in the office with the student, but if we can work with them with that language in an actual situation, it's so powerful. So it's really something we encourage, but it's not required. The other thing about that is that the clinician sees the child alone and they hear what they have to say in their story, which is wonderful, but we see them in the larger setting of the classroom and in the school. So oftentimes we can give input to the counselor that the person's working with and say, well, you know, here's what we see at school, and here are the indications of we, our concerns. And so it's a nice connection when we work with outside professionals. That's one of the things we do. Sue, what does a high school placement counselor do? We know in Sacred Heart schools, the 8th grade year, probably the 7th grade year is pretty significant as well in thinking about high school. So what do you do in that capacity? That's a great question. It's quite a, you know, we do a lot, I do a lot of different things. The most important piece of my job as a high school placement counselor is helping the parents figure out what is the best fit high school for their child based on their academics, based on the kind of personality they have, what kind of outside activities they want to do, size, location, all of these different things all factor into a good decision. So the parents, of course, when they start the journey, they don't have a lot of information. So I always like to meet with everyone individually, take out their academic records, and then talk through all these different points to see you know, where they might be headed in terms of high school. Then there's quite a detailed timeline between the beginning of 8th grade until they get accepted, which this year is not going to be until April for some of them. So, you know, they need to take placement tests, they need to tour the schools, do a shadow day, you know, helping the parents each step of the way so that when the acceptances come, start coming out in February and March, hopefully by that time they've made a good decision about what would be the best fit for them. 
Every year we uh, host an annual fair, high school fair. We have over 45 schools come. It's a wonderful opportunity for our parents and teachers and students to go around to each table. Each school thinks their school is the best school, so they get to interview all these different schools, see what they have to offer, meet with the admissions people. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity for our kids to go up and question them. All the representatives from the high schools always rave about our kids. They're articulate and polite. It, it seems very overwhelming at first to the parents, but slowly as we go along the year, things become clearer. They've made steps. They've made many decisions along the way till when it gets to the end where where are we going to go to high school, I feel like they're prepared to make that decision. Can you speak to the panel of parents whose children have matriculated a high school Um, how they speak about their experience and their children's experience? Absolutely. So once a year, uh, after a Parent of the Heart meeting in October, we invite past parents who graduated the previous year to come and talk to our parents who are starting the process. And it's the best possible thing because they've been through it all. They, their children are off to a high school, so they know all the different things that were important to them. So they help really guide our parents to understand that certain things that are worrisome might be location. I can never send my child to Woodlands because it's so far away. So someone from that panel will say, my daughter goes to Woodlands and we live in the city. And so it's firsthand experience and advice. And they're very eager to hear it. And the parents who come back do a great job of representing the high school that their child is now attending. What trends have emerged in terms of parent, student, and teacher concerns over the years? I would say one of our number one concerns is anxiety, especially considering our population, which is predominantly high-achieving students. Common causes of anxiety are amount of homework, competition for good grades, uh, fear of failure, peer pressure, and bullying. But in a high-achieving population, it can look quite different. And I'd like to paint a picture of a high-achieving student. High-achieving children have consequent high self-expectations. Their families are very supportive and take pride in them. And they ask that their child do no more than their best. But children can twist that into thinking that they have to be the best. So the high-achieving child persists in doing her best and doesn't allow herself a break from that. And as the pressure builds up, she becomes anxious, but she is unable or unwilling to show that. She denies it or disguises her anxieties about her performance because she considers it unacceptable to be worried. It is unreasonable or unacceptable to be angry or depressed, nor is it permissible to make any demands on her family. It is not okay to be a bother to people. And what often happens now, as Sue mentioned earlier, is that children somatize their stress and distress. We see lots of bodily complaints because the child is speaking with their body. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that we try to combat this is with an emphasis on growth mindset. Growth mindset is the idea that intelligence and skill are developed. They are not fixed. And effort is the path to mastery. It's a focus really on process 
rather than just the end result. And research has shown that students who have a growth mindset embrace challenges, persist in the face of setbacks, they learn from criticism, and they find lessons and inspiration in the success of others rather than being threatened by that. These all lead to higher achievement. Hand in hand with anxiety is overscheduling. As a general principle, there is a line between a highly enriched, interesting, growth-promoting childhood and an overscheduled childhood. And the problem is that line is often blurred and it can be subjective based on the child. Generally, we find that students might have two hours of homework. They are expected to practice on the piano for 45 minutes a day. They have two basketball practices during the week and then they have a weekend game. We all know that outside activities make a child well-rounded, but where it becomes problematic, and I think this is where it ties back into anxiety, is when the child starts to say that his or her performance determines her self-worth. Mm. Like, I am as I can perform. So it becomes not just about being the best, but it's being the best in the most things. And so to this, we say two things. One, it is really important to let kids be bored. That is a critical life skill. They need to learn to manage boredom. And really the focus for them needs to be on the quality of life. Are they sleeping enough? Are they having enough to eat? Do they have enough joy in their lives? And also focusing as a family on non-goal-oriented activities. Time together, free time, things that don't have an end result in mind. Another issue that we could spend an entire podcast talking about is technology. It is overwhelming, it is complicated, it is confusing because it is always evolving. Well, and technology is always available. That's the mm -hmm. difference. It used to be you would be bullied or you might have an issue with someone at home and then you left school or at school and then you left and you were home. Now all you have to do is open up your iPhone or cell phone and there it is again. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those things that parents have to help their children manage and understand that they cannot do it on their own. You want them to have the phone for safety reasons, be able to get a hold of them but you also need to monitor how much time they spend on it so it doesn't become a problem for them. The resource that we recommend to parents hands down is called Common Sense Media. It is one-stop shopping for all things digital. And they have pages dedicated to different concerns. So if a parent has a concern about texting or the amount of screen time, they are able to access a wealth of resources, strategies, message boards, research, the whole nine yards. So I know that we use it as educators and we recommend that to parents all the time. I imagine when you encounter children who are experiencing issues with anxiety and overscheduling and all, that a conversation with a, a parent may ensue to help in dealing with the anxiety. How does one negotiate that experience? 
Well, I think we're always resources for parents mm-hmm. because every everyone knows as a parent, your job is constantly changing and evolving. So we, I always encourage parents to call me about anything, not just the high school placement process, but, but anything social-emotional because you need to hear from someone else who sees, in my case, teenagers all day long. What's a normal teenager like? And is this unusual for my child to be doing this particular thing? And so we help normalize the um, age that they're in. And I think Laura and uh, Elizabeth can speak to that for the ages that they serve as well. And I would imagine you encourage parents to contact you, but you'd be contacting parents as well in certain circumstances? Absolutely. It can definitely be a delicate conversation um, depending on the openness of the parent to hear feedback. You know, sometimes it's the first time, you know, I'm kindergarten through second, so sometimes it's the first time they've heard the word anxiety and their child in the same sentence, um, and that can be scary for parents. So trying to um, take away any mysteries about what that really means and and, um, normalize it for Mm -hmm. them, because it's really common. Right. We're so lucky to have each of you. Sue, I know you've been here for decades. Elizabeth, you've been here for six years. Six years, and Laura is new this year. So a wide breadth of experience at Sacred Heart Schools, but other experiences um, serving in this capacity. And I guess I'd like to conclude with what do each of you enjoy most about being a counselor and what is the biggest challenge of being a school counselor? The biggest challenge for me is that there is sometimes a stigma with children receiving services from a school counselor or an outside therapist. And this resistance can be really difficult to deal with um, and how to navigate that with parents. So we know that when parents get on board and they get behind our recommendations, we see positive change. And I'm a big believer and passionate about um, early intervention and the earlier they start, the better. The positive, um, what I enjoy most, is that this is really, really meaningful work. And I, I honestly get up each morning and I'm excited to come to work because I think what I do matters. And the students are truly amazing. They're creative and they're unique and they're filled with this beautiful light. And so it really honestly feels like a family. Um, and I love learning about their inner world and being able to help them make important connections. So for kids who struggle with social situations, there are few opportunities to learn social skills because our society kind of assumes that they're going to get it just by watching each other, and it's not true at all. They really need direct instructions, and so teaching them step-by-step ways of how to join a game that's already in progress or um, how to give somebody a genuine compliment or how to give a genuine apology. Those are, I'm teaching life skills, and that's that's really meaningful to me. I think for me, I love working with all the different areas of the school. I get to work with the teachers, the wonderful teachers, and of course the students. I interact with parents, I work with administrators, I get get to interact with you, Annie, when we help develop the parent education program. So it's a job that kind of you have your fingers in all the different pots of the school, and that's really great. So you have a wide range, and you feel like you're really helping just about every constituency, um, which is just, it's an, it's an honor to do, really. I think for me, one of the biggest challenges, and I agree with exactly with what Elizabeth said about the stigma about you know mental health versus physical health. It's very clear. It's not just for the parents, it's for the students mm-hmm. as well. But I think the other thing that's hard for us is 
and rightly so, what we do is confidential. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people aren't even aware of what we do, and that's why this is such a great opportunity to, you know, elaborate about our jobs and the roles that we play, because otherwise we have to hold the, the, the problems of our children to ourselves, and we can't go and, and we, we set up this safe space for them by telling them that. But the flip side of that is no one really knows a lot of what we do. So this is another great forum for us to express that to everybody. Well, I am just going to be a broken record <laughs> because my biggest challenge is just so similar to Elizabeth's and Sue's. There is still a stigma about school counseling and what we do. And I think there is also that limitation of not necessarily being the most visible. Parents get lots of FaceTime with classroom teachers and we don't necessarily have those same opportunities. So parents don't always know what we do. And we have really wonderful relationships with teachers and staff and we feel that they know how to use us as a resource. And I think we're still in the process of reaching that same level with parents. So now that we have this wellness team, I think one of our large goals is figuring out how do we reach more parents and let them know what we do and all of the different ways that we support their children, which should in turn reduce some of that stigma around school counseling. For me, the best part of my job is working directly with kids. They are an absolute joy. They just bring so much fulfillment to me personally, and I I hope that I give them the the same uh, level of happiness. And it's a process. And I think sometimes that can also be the challenge is that the work that we do is so meaningful, as Elizabeth said, but sometimes it takes months or years for it to become a parent. But what's really great is when you have that trajectory with a student and you worked with them while they were in their division and then you see them several years later and you realize that they got it and they figured it out. And then you're able to give yourself a small pat on the back and say, okay, I made a difference. I did something important and there is no equal to that feeling. Thank you for what you do. Sue, you had mentioned um, how we are able to work together with parent education. And our final parent education program for the year is with Dr. Michelle Borba. She'll be speaking on her book, Unselfie, and teaching kids the skills of empathy. So we invite all parents as our support to you to join us on April 25th or 26th. A link to the registration will be within the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to keep an ear out for our next podcast.